Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I am very excited to bring you an interview with uh, the legendary Mark LeFay. Uh Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, you and I have been able to be uh, friends for a while. We've met on several occasions. I remember the very first time uh, I walked into uh, the SPF drinks uh, get together over here at the Nink conference, and and then found out who you were, and I'm like, what? Yeah, he's here, like in person in my town, and and I uh, had had a lot of uh, I just kind of geeked out there briefly, um, meeting yeah. you. I'm like from Kobo, and um, <laughs> it's just been a fun ever since. So. Yeah, it has been. Uh, it's always great. I mean, uh, I always associate uh, meeting you with the beach and the Florida sun, so that's mm-hmm. always a very positive experience. Yeah, well, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. That's uh, not a, not bad things to be associated. You're on vacation. You're hanging out with me. All right, good deal. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we get we get a chance to hang out again in a couple of weeks, which I'm super excited about because you're coming back. Oh, yeah, to, for sure. Back to St. Pete. And uh, um, I love. Yeah. And you're even organizing a a books and, and beer tour. Yeah, I mean that is awesome. Uh, I'm glad you're going to be able to make it to that. Yeah. And I think there's about six or seven folks who will be joining uh, a couple days before the conference. Because, you know, as you know, St. Pete has, uh, you know, one of uh, the U.S.'s most amazing independent bookstores, Haslam's, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, haunted, allegedly, by the ghost of Jack Kerouac, which I wrote about in uh, in Tomes of Terror, Haunted Bookstores and mm-hmm. Libraries. And so I can't not go there without visiting Haslam's. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed when I was looking at the map, because there was a, a, a beer place just down the block, uh, and, I, and I would go to Haslam's, and I would eat have beer, have some smoked meat there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I noticed there were three other breweries in that neighborhood. Well, I've got to make a day out of this. Yeah. And then one thing led to another, and other people said, well, can I come along? <laughs> and so I've organized the Books and Beer uh, yeah. books and beer Day, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. I think it's going to be a really good time. Uh, uh, yeah. I have a business meeting that night, uh, actually, when I get back, so it'll be interesting to see how I do. <laughs> see what kind of condition you're in. <laughs> You'll be very literate and, and maybe extra chatty. Who knows? That's right. Yeah, I'll be a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit looser than normal, right? I'll just be relaxed because I've had a couple beers. There's some good. There's definitely some good breweries down that street, and like Haslam's is is a is a wonderful place. I like that they. They even have um, you know, like little scavenger hunt things you can do in there for the kids. They have a, um, I can't remember what the app, but there's a, um, where you're going around treasure hunting, geocaching. You can go oh, yeah, geocaching. Yeah, geocaching. Oh, yeah, I haven't done geocaching in the store. But that, yeah, they that's actually wild. have secret okay. things in the store. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to check it out. Do they have Wi-Fi? Because you know, I'll, be, I'll be roaming. It's possible. I don't know. That's, that's a good All question. Right. If you need to borrow <laughs> my phone, I'll, I'll lend you my phone. <laughs> that would be I'll awesome. Thanks. So you mentioned that Haslam's being haunted is one of the attractions that um, bringing you there um, because you've got a fascination with horror and you write horror books. Can you tell people a little bit about um, you as a horror writer and, and what got you into this genre? Yeah, well, uh, I suppose I've always been scared of the monster under my bed. You can't tell me that he's not real just because we haven't seen him yet. Um, so I've always been afraid of the dark and, and, and stuff like that. And so when I started writing stories, even at a young age, I just always went to the shadows. And I always was afraid of the thing that you can't see. Um, and that kind of led to fiction, obviously fiction. My very first book was published in 2004, which was a collection of previously published um 
horror stories. And ironically, I mean, 2004, I self-published this book, you know, 10 years mm -hmm. before all the cool kids were doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was the old hard way when it was just print on demand before there was even a, a you know, a KDP uh, where you could publish, uh, you know, that came years later. Yeah. And and then I also started writing nonfiction explorations of the paranormal, like uh, true ghost stories or tales told as true Um and I did that after going on a ghost walk, because I always, uh, one of the best ways to learn about a city uh, when you go there is you go on a ghost walk. There's a history, some fun uh, ghost stories. Uh, and I did that with Hamilton, where um, after going on the tours, I talked to the organizers and said, you guys should write a book. This is fascinating. And they said, well, we don't have time, but we'll give you access to our files if you want to write one. And I went, okay. Uh, and so every year uh, since then, uh, with Haunted Hamilton, I've I've published a book of paranormal ghost stories, and uh, the, the wonderful thing about this Haslam's meeting is that uh, one of the books I've been working on uh, for years, actually, and I don't think I'll ever stop working on, is going to be Haunted Bars and Breweries, Spirits Untapped. And so Haslam's was in yeah. Tomes of Terror as a haunted bookstore, and then, of course, every time I go to a bar and brewery, because I love craft beer, I'm always looking for those historic tales, because where there's a ghost, it's going to appear in, uh, in that forthcoming book. Mm. That's a lot of fun, and I, I love that you're you're tying in actual visits to and research visits to real world locations to to your stories. Cause it definitely adds that extra air of authenticity um, and kind of a, a creep factor to when we actually go there. Um, and uh, how have people been? How receptive have people been to um, your research in um, places like that? You know what, for the most part, people have a pretty good, uh, pretty fun sense of it. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some places who just don't want to talk about the ghosts. So, for mm -hmm. example, in uh, Hamilton, uh, Ontario, which is about an hour outside of Toronto, um, the uh, Dundurn Castle, the folks at Dundurn Castle don't want to talk about the alleged ghosts there. And even a particular hotel here in Waterloo, because one of the books on my plate is going to be Weird Waterloo, which is the city I'm living in now. And uh, the, the, the management of the hotel don't want to talk about the ghost. So I have to elusively get stories directly from staff members, yeah. uh, which is kind of a fun thing to do. But, but again, I, I do treat, uh, I treat the, the, the locations with respect. Uh, to go back to Haslam, since you're familiar with the location, mm -hmm. because I'm a giant book nerd, and I love bookstores and libraries. They're like the best buildings in the world. When I wrote... Um, certain chapters in the haunted bookstores and libraries in Tomes of Terror, I went on and on about the history of the family of Haslam's, who are kind of like the, they're like the royalty of the American Booksellers Association. So the, they, they were so engaged, and there's such great, rich history. Mm -hmm. I went on thousands and thousands of words about just the history of the bookstore, because I fell in love with it. And my editor came back and said, dude, this is a ghost story book. I love the book, people, yeah. but you got to cut it back. And I went, no, but people who love books are going to love this. <laughs> so we fought back and forth. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, they were right. Uh, people do buy the book. You know, maybe they're book nerds, but they're mostly ghost nerds. Um, so what we did is we pulled out some of the research and we put it into mm -hmm. sidebars mm -hmm. so that you could read the ghost story, get the story about Jack and how he, how he haunts uh, and terrorizes the staff by moving his books around the store just like he did in real life uh, before he uh, passed away. Um, but if you're a book nerd like me, then you read the sidebar and you get more of the history of the Haslam family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of satisfied, um, we satisfied both sides of that equation. And I'm, you know, as for being a local and being here all the time, I actually don't know the history of the family all that well. I know, I know Ray and Ray when I go in there and they're, they're great advocates for 
Um, I mean, I've got books in there, so they, they're, they're just yeah. wonderful, um, people and, um, enjoy the cats. They've got cats roaming around in there. So, I said, um, yeah, I, exactly. And when I, when I first showed up and I talked to the cashier and I said, Hey, I wrote about the place and, and I said about, you know, about Jack Kerouac and she goes, Oh yeah, I saw Jack last week. And then she pulls me aside and says, here, let me tell you where I saw him. And it was like, Whoa, I love this place. <laughs> this <laughs> that is, is fantastic. <laughs> have, have you ever had any uh, paranormal experiences of your own that have inspired any of your uh, adventures? Uh, they haven't inspired them. And, and I used to be able to say that, no, I've never seen a ghost or never seen anything weird. But ironically, um, last summer, summer 2017, my girlfriend and I were uh, driving down to Florida. We were going down to Romance Writers of America. And mm-hmm. uh, on the way back, we went to, uh, we wanted to stop in at uh, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Virginia. And we had been driving from Orlando in a single day. We made it all the way up there. And I think it was one in the morning because mm-hmm. uh, I wrote about it in, uh, or actually my co-author of Haunted Hospitals, Rhonda Parrish, wrote about it. So I, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but I hadn't done the detailed research. And it's always great to see a place you've written about or it's in one of your books. So we decided to go on a, a tour there. And we, we get into Virginia and uh, the first hotel we check, no, no rooms available. It's, you know, foggy night. We're just exhausted. The second hotel we get to, they say, well, there's there's one room left, um, but there's only two single beds. There's no, or two, like two twin beds. There's no, yeah. there's not a, a queen or, or anything like that. And we're like, well, we're just going to go to sleep because we're getting up in five yeah. hours to do the tour. Um, so we get to the hotel, and uh, Liz gets into the other bed, and she's just tired and exhausted. She pulls her hoodie over her head and falls asleep, and... I'm a little bit nervous because this hotel matches a really, really cheap hotel we stayed in. The same layout of one that we stayed in on our trip down uh, in a different city in uh, in the same state. And, and and that was a place where we were actually so frightened we, we, we pulled furniture in front of the door. Oh, wow. Because you don't want yeah. people breaking in and stealing your stuff. We also pulled sheets out of the car and we didn't sleep on the sheets. And Like, that's how cheap the okay. hotel was. Yeah. This was a nicer hotel. Uh, but it was the same layout, so I still had that uneasiness because I'm afraid of everything. Mm. Uh, so I wake up in the middle of the night, and uh, and I, I I see Liz. I hear her shuffling, and I see her moving towards the bathroom. And I lay there, and I wait for her to turn the bathroom light on. And I lay there. I'm laying there, and I'm waiting. I'm like, why isn't she turning on the light? And then the next thing I can hear is I can hear her breathing in the bed beside me. Oh, wow. And I went someone's in the room and then i went no you're being stupid you're being silly um you probably fell asleep she got up went to the washroom you fell asleep and then woke up after she was already back in bed and and in your mind no time had passed that's probably what happened right yeah because i did sit up uh i still have my contacts in i looked and i went no the latch is still on the door everything's Mm -hmm. fine no one no one's in the room went back to sleep and then i heard uh this sort of a on the table maybe about an hour later at the end of my bed, and I'm thinking, oh my god, our laptops are there, our passports are there, uh, someone's in the room. And I sat up, and again, and I checked the, uh, the door, it was still latched, and I checked, is there a door between or two rooms, maybe somebody got in that way, and I was like, I was convinced there was someone in the room. Nope, nothing. I finally calmed down, went back to sleep. The next morning, um, I said, weird thing happened last night, um, did you get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? She's like, no, I was completely out of it. And I went, well, well, here's why, and I told her the story. She said, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but in the middle of the night when she was sleeping, like t- facing the wall with a hoodie up, she felt a hand on her shoulder 
and she felt the presence of someone behind her, and she knew it wasn't me. So oh, wow. she's a feisty person, so she kind of steeled herself up, get ready to swing around and take a, take a stab <laughs> at whoever it was, and there was nothing there. And she said, I had the distinct impression it was a woman standing over me. And I was like, okay, hmm. so I had the distinct impression I saw a woman walking <laughs> to the bathroom. You had someone standing over your bed. And I was thinking, okay, that was, you know, I can't explain why we both felt there was a woman in the room, yeah. but that was sort of the closest I've ever experienced to something that I can't explain and believe maybe a paranormal experience. Someone lingering in that hotel room from some past yes. bad, bad <laughs> night in the hotel. Um, exactly. Yeah, well, that that I think that definitely qualifies. It's that'll, that'll, that'll get your skin tingling a little bit. Um, um, so, you, have you always written horror? What are um, uh, thrillers? I guess, yeah. uh, but most of the stuff, uh, yeah, I, I mean, a couple of the stuff I've written, like thrillers, where it's just straight out action with a little bit of sort of paranormal um, or science fiction. And then I think even even uh, my novel, A Canadian Werewolf in New York, it's more about the man behind uh, the side effects of being a wolf, because you only kind of see him in a, as a wolf in flashbacks. It kind of takes place mm -hmm. throughout the day when he's a human, okay. uh, and dealing with the side effects, and that was my whole uh, point. It's I guess I wouldn't even call it horror, even though you think of a werewolf as a, a creature out of a horror movie. Right. Um, I was just more looking at, well, what, what superpowers does he still possess as a human, and how would he use them to live in, in a big city yeah. uh, where it, you wake up naked in Battery Park with a bullet hole in your leg and you say, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to get home without anyone spotting me? How am I going to find some clothes? So yeah. it's more of a dark humor element of, I guess, the paranormal or supernatural. That sounds really fun. It's, it's, it's obviously put a lot of thought into it and you've spent some time... You know, thinking about the repercussions of this this lifestyle. I thought you were going to say you spent some time walking around naked in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you did. If you were really committed to your research, Mark, then you, maybe you should try it. Yeah, that's exactly how I figured out how I was going to get the Battery Park back to Midtown without being spotted. <laughs> yeah, Ex voice of experience. Um, I think that I think that's really cool. Um, and it's it's where should people where do you recommend people start with your books? Because you have so many short stories, you have collections. Um, where's a good place for people to to start one of your yeah? Uh, well, I stories? if if they're looking for fiction, uh, I've got some free stuff out there. So I have Nocturnal Stre uh, Screams Volume One, uh, Night Cries, which is free on all platforms except Amazon. It's still ninety nine cents because they haven't price matched yet. You can always complain. Uh, Snowman Shivers, prob probably, because it has been perma-free for years, mm. and it's two dark humor, Twilight Zone-style tales about what, what might really happen if if you put a magic hat on a snowman and he actually came to life. Yeah. Um, those are probably two of my most well-received short stories, and they really give you a good sense of the fact that even though I'm scared of ghosts and of weird things, um, my stories tend to... Uh, although although I do have really darker horror pieces, that one tends to be more approachable, even if you're not a horror fan. Mm. Um, and if you're a nonfiction reader, you probably even check out marklesley.ca, because every Friday I do a thing called Free Friday Frights, and uh, every second week it's a fiction story that I put up for free for a week. Um, and uh, every alternate week, it's nonfiction. So it's based on the research I've done for a lot of my nonfiction paranormal. And if you don't want to read, you know, watch me talk about it for five minutes. <laughs> we'll have <laughs> so to post. Some, it sounds like fun. We'll have to post some some links up in the comments. 
uh, for people to catch later. And um, if anyone is watching uh, live, feel free to comment and, and say hello and um, ask your questions for Mark or if you're watching the replay later. Um, also, feel free to drop comments and questions and uh, Mark will happily pop back in and, and answer your questions and, and say hello there. Um, so I know a lot of people are watching this in the, the replay edition. But um, you, you mentioned that you write a lot of shorts. Um, what's your attraction for, for writing short fiction as opposed to full-length novels? Uh, you know what, I think it stemmed from, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, so I grew up in days of, of writer writing, and this was back when the common wisdom for writers was, before you try to write a novel and get an agent or editor to pick it up or a publisher, you should really um, cut your chops on short fiction, get a proven track record, sell sell some stories to some markets, um, and then once you've established yourself, like work your way up <laughs> from yeah. the from the little magazines to the bigger ones to the bigger ones. Work your way up, develop a, a you know a name for yourself, and then go into books. Mm -hmm. um, but but that aside, I find it uh, short fiction can be really really satisfying. And and I think Jeffrey Deaver is one of the authors who did it brilliantly in his uh, collection of short stories called Twisted, because and he says that I believe in the introduction. You know, with a novel, typically there are certain tropes and expectations that usually, and I know Dean Koontz wrote about this in, in, in his classic book from the 80s called How to Write Bestselling Fiction. When somebody invests that much time in a story, usually the good guys have to win. Usually, for the mm -hmm. most part. With some there's some great horror novels where the bad guys win or where evil prospers. But usually if you're going to invest that much time with characters and settings, there usually should be a, a Hollywood or a happy ending. That's not, mm. you know, for example, with romance, you can't get away with sad endings, or otherwise you've broken the, the biggest contract you have with the reader yeah. of what they're looking for. But with a short story, anything goes. It's a shorter piece. It can be experimental. I've got 800-word stories. I've got 500-word stories. I've got longer pieces. And I can actually uh, get really, really dark and twisted. And, and Jeffrey Deaver does that amazingly in that in that collection. Mm -hmm. um, of, of twisted because there's a there's a complete twist that he he actually hints at brilliantly and then he and then he pulls he pulls the wool over your eyes he pulls a rug out from under you at the very last minute and you're like oh my god how come I didn't see that and you can you can play with the reader in short fiction so I find it's a lot more playful um, and also you know having been inspired and and worked uh, Dean Wesley Smith in some of his workshops about write fast. You know, you can crank out a short story relatively quickly, whereas a novel, even writing fast, you know, a novel is a month or more or yeah. years for for some uh, in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think I can. Um, there's more of a sense of play with short fiction. I think there's definitely a, an audience for all the people who love the Twilight Zone or you know Black Mirror now things like that oh, that, yeah. are, that are short, you know, episodic. But, are, yeah. but have those excellent twists or cautionary tales. And yeah. I think that's something that the, especially the kind of the horror genre does so well. Um, yeah. We don't ex necessarily expect it to end well. And, um, yeah. But you walk away thinking about it for a while. For sure. Yeah, um, I think of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, right? Like that classic, I'm sure it's a story most people have read or at least heard of. You you know, it doesn't have a happy ending. Mm. And it makes you think about conformity and society and tradition and all these weird, it's like, whoa, what what, what the heck? Because uh, yeah. it's so much easier to look at someone else making our own mistakes that we're making. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some of the challenges that you face uh, as a writer writing in the horror genre? Uh, well, the fact that nobody reads horror or uh, <laughs> the fact that uh, a lot of people have an impression of horror that's based on Friday the 13th and, um, uh, you know, uh, Jason, that's Friday the 13th or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or stuff mm-hmm. like that. They think about it as slasher horror. Mm. Um, and I think horror i mean there's the old adage that horror is a is an emotion not a genre um and i think that horror is so so many more pieces almost in the way that romance you can have romance elements in in virtually any novel because usually Mm -hmm. there's a love interest of some sort um doesn't make it a romance novel Uh, i like to say i write horror only because the stuff I write is weird black mirror slash Twilight Zone outer limits stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I called it sci-fi, well, there's all kinds of sci-fi, and it's not space opera, and it's not militaristic sci-fi, and it's not really hard science sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's not fantasy, because you know, I think, when I think of fantasy, it's like elves and dragons and, <laughs> and demon yeah. slayers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I've always gone to horror, because horror was like this weird in-between that has elements of both. Mm-hmm. Um because there is no genre that that's Twilight Zone style fiction. I mm-hmm. mean, even if you try to put Twilight Zone as a keyword in Amazon, they think you're trying to riff off of the Twilight series. But no, n- not at all. Nothing like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's interesting yeah, the relationship between science fiction and horror because there are often so many science fiction elements into how this you know, creature or whatever it is that came into being, whether it's the creature from Black Lagoon or, you know, whatever, there's some element there. So I think the genres have been blended. And even if you go on HBO and look at categories, it's science fiction and horror are in the same category. So you're flipping through a bunch of sci-fi movies with a bunch of horror movies, like right next to them. And societally, we've sort of dumped them together, but they're very, very different. And it's such a broad spectrum for both. Yeah, there is, and and I think it's interesting because it's it's just part of marketing. And where do you put books in the store, or even the magazines? I would be selling to, uh, you know, so speculative literature. But that sounds pretentious because yeah. <laughs> it's speculative. It's a little it's it inclusive of of sci-fi, yeah. fantasy, and horror. Yeah, uh, but those tend to be the things I prefer to read because mm-hmm. uh, I like a little bit of speculation thrown into my <laughs> thrown into my regular narrative. Yeah, I mean, you're. I'm. In, I'm in the same boat. Like, I, when I read fiction, I want to read something that takes me out of the normal reality. I, I want to see something imaginative, something far fetched, even. Um, and whether it's whether it's scary or whether it's positive, I want something different. And I yeah. think that's one of the things that that the horror genre has to offer is that, and it also sort of plays on this whole other element of our fears, which. You know, as opposed to our aspirations, I think that you know we do all have fears. It's something we can all relate to, and what that fear is, is of course, can can vary wildly. But um, it's so interesting that we have an entire genre that that plays with those fears. Oh yeah, for <clears> sure. Yeah, and um, my my wife and I were just watching uh, A Quiet Place the other day. Oh, um, that's a brilliant movie. Yeah, and uh, but <laughs> but she didn't make it past the part where the nail got turned up on the on the stairs. Oh, and she's like she's she like nope. saw that for She's like nope, right. I'm out. <laughs> that was as far as she got. And um, it's funny that that was what got her, and not yeah. the the child earlier. Right. Yeah. No. That. I mean, that's the first five minutes. You know. But but it's just the the tension. I think the yeah. tension and the anticipation 
is what drives you crazy. It's not the actual bad things happening. It's the worrying about the bad thing that's going oh, to happen. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that is, and that is just, just beautiful example of foreshadowing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're, where you, you see it, you're like, okay, yeah. we know it's going to happen. Nobody, yeah. Somebody's going to scream. <laughs> yeah. You don't know who and you don't know yeah. when, but it's, it's coming. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's the that's the gun on the mantle in Act One of the play, right? Yeah, you know it's going to get fired later on. <laughs> exactly. Um, are there any other tips that you have for horror writers when when it comes to crafting um, a well written horror tale? Like any any tropes or things that people really have to get right? Uh, I, I honestly think what, what you have to get right is you have to care for the characters. It's the same mm-hmm. as in any other fiction. Uh, the the horror. The terror is far more uh, frightening if you care about the characters. It's why the nail turned. You cared about mm-hmm. the characters. And if you didn't care about the characters, who cares? So I think the one thing that uh, you know maybe beginning writers may miss out when they think about horror is they think, aha, it's about a guy who's going to run around and kill people. Uh, but there have to be humanistic elements. There to see these people as real humans. We have to mm-hmm. care about them. Otherwise, it's not scary. It's just a bunch of things that happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. We can't just, you know, throw the typical hot blonde in danger and then ha- ha- just have everyone expect to to yeah. care. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that I think obviously is a big difference between what movies and Hollywood, the Hollywood version of horror has done to just telling story versus um, maybe the better crafted version. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like Quiet Place. Like I said, yeah, the tension there was was palpable the whole time. Yeah, um, exactly. What were some of your big inspirations um, as far as like, writers that you recommend in, in horror and what are some of the things that got you going? Yeah, well, you can't, I mean, you can't not respect what Stephen King has done, uh, long fiction or short fiction. Uh, I've always been a fan of his. So for actual horror, and I'm talking outright, sh- you know, schlocky horror where there's no promises that the good guys are even going to win mm-hmm. Richard Lehman. He has no sense of character preservation. He's kind of way okay. before Game of Thrones pulled yeah. this off. You read a, a Richard Lehman novel, and it, the, the main character could actually die. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a brilliant writer, just an absolutely brilliant writer. But again, no holds barred. you got to be able to handle blood and guts and gore. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Bradbury, of course, his short fiction. I mean, even growing up, uh, Isaac Asimov and uh, Peter that I remember reading these novels and stories when I was a kid and going, I want to tell stories like this. I want to be able to write stories. Stan Lee, to be quite mm-hmm. honest, um, you know, I grew up on on, on Spider Man and so much so much of the Marvel universe and the speculative universe that he created there that I just wanted to be able to, to move people the way that Stan Lee could move people by, you know, reflecting on how Peter Parker decided to use his powers for for good mm-hmm. uh, and not for selfish reasons. I mean, that's a pure character play that you know is a repeated um, archetype in so many other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I draw upon it. Huge the Canadian werewolf in New York. I've got my main character reflecting on Peter Parker, and 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 that's a foreshadowing that every time he sees a situation where he can help someone, he's gonna help them because he he doesn't feel like he has any choice. It's his responsibility now. So again, you know, I play up to my heroes uh, in many, many ways. Um, but again, there's just so many, so many brilliant writers that I continue to be inspired by new things that I read because I read something and I go, "Wow, how did you do that? I care so much? Mm. Uh, how can I do that again? How can I readapt that and relearn my own uh, my own writing style to 
to do what you did. Uh, again, maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell stories. You you enjoy a story and you say, oh, can I do that to other people too? And I think that's quite powerful. Yeah, it can't be underestimated the power of, of continuing to feed yourself as a reader uh, to be able to produce new and, and vibrant things and, and pick up new inspirations. I'm constantly admiring um, different stories and, and trying to take little bits and find ways to make make my own versions of them. Um, yeah, it's absolutely essential, I think, for, for authors. Um, I want to touch on, I know we're getting quite towards the end of the half hour here, but um, I want to touch a little bit on your podcast, um, Stark yeah. um, Reflections. on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your um, your podcast yeah. first and tell us what it's about? Um, I've been in the publishing industry since 92. So, I mean, mm-hmm. 92 is the year I first published my short story, first short story. And then it was also the year uh, that I started working as a bookseller. Mm-hmm. When I was at Kobo, uh, one of the things I quite enjoyed was the Kobo Writing Life podcast and interviewing uh, authors and talking to people from the industry. Um, and then at the end of the, the episodes I did is I tended to share my own learnings and what I learned from talking to this author or industry person. Mm-hmm. And so when I left Kobo at the end of 2017, um, there were still a few interviews I'd done. So I told Christine uh, Monroe, who's now the director of Kobo Writing Life, when I was leaving, I said, Tell you what, I know you're you're, you're taking over my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got enough on your plate because you're still doing your other job. Um, why don't I help you out and I'll do, you know, because I have free time now. I'll do the last couple episodes and I'll do them and I'll produce them. And as I was doing that, I thought, oh, I'm going to miss this. Mm-hmm. I miss talking to writers and uh, industry folks. And so I thought, well, why don't I just continue to do that? Because a, I'm going to continue to learn and benefit from it, and b. If I can reflect on, and that's where you know Stark was the imp- um, used when I first self-published. Steve mm. and Mark. Steve was my best friend. He was a graphic designer. He designed the Stark Publishing logo because, again, back oh, cool. then you had to hide the fact that you were self-publishing. So I mm-hmm. came up with a brand and a company name, Stark Publishing. Um, and I thought, well, Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing, because I want the one thing I wanted to bring was I wanted to bring a realistic view of publishing. Yes, I know that self-publishing is amazing and there are opportunities that are just incredibly beyond anything writers have ever had. But mm-hmm. I also recognize, because I saw it from the back end, is that you know if there's 100,000 writers publishing, that there's going to be the 1% or 2 or 3% that are making the 6 and 7 figures. Yes, authors will be able to make really good money self-publishing, mm-hmm. um, but I was... I was a little bit annoyed that you only ever hear the huge breakaway successes and you don't hear that the average author does pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and maybe even there are a lot of titles that don't do so good. Um, yeah. So I wanted to reflect and share my own experiences um, on what's working, what's not working, uh, what I've seen uh, in the industry, what's going on, and try to back down to reality and, and sort of bridge the gap between the pros and cons of self-publishing and the pros and cons of traditional publishing because for myself um, I make way more money in ebooks from self-publishing like 90% of my income and and my print book income which is almost like 50-50 comes from traditional publishing but I make virtually no money in ebooks from traditional publishing so for my own experience embracing both for different projects has doubled what I make as a writer. I know I'm not a six-figure writer, so you know I'm not I'm not uh, flying in, in first-class jet airplanes around the world to to talk about how I, you know, how I made uh, the, these these kinds of figures. Mm-hmm. But I'm making more money than I was when I was only doing one, uh, and I wanted 
a podcast and a perspective that kind of shared the bonuses, the pros, but also the cons and the realities because more writers than not are in my boat than are in the boat where they're the ones going, yeah. how did you Break make away lightning strike stories, yeah. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm probably more like most of my listeners than I'm not. <laughs> I definitely appreciate, the episodes that I've listened to, I definitely appreciated your candor when it came to even just, you know, talking numbers and saying, okay, this is what I spent on this promotion and this is what I got back. You know, it's it's it does ground you to the reality of, you know, not every promotion is going to be a massive success and some of them are and some of them aren't. And, and it does kind of, give you a little window into the the day-to-day life in the trenches that a writer experiences and uh, i think it's excellent because like like you said a lot of people are only waving the flag when they get to the top and there's a lot of us that are just still but you forget but then but then you don't see you don't see all the hard work they did and all the Mm -hmm. and the 10 things they did that failed before they did the one big blockbuster and we forget about those other 10 things and you realize oh my god he's struggling just like me yeah (laughs) uh so, so keep at it, right? Like keep trying things and keep mm-hmm. coming up with stuff that's unique to you because that's how authors do it, right? I mean, you know all the elements of successful publishing, um, but one of the most important ones is to just keep trying Absolutely. and try new things and, and what fits for you and your target readers. And that's what I want to continue to away and get on my little soapbox and talk to people about <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's excellent. I think it's great what you're doing, and um, I've like I said, I've enjoyed several episodes of the podcast myself already, and I, I definitely recommend it. Maybe we can post a link up in the comments um, where people can find it. I think that would be very helpful. And um, if we can post links to your website, etc., we'll we'll try to do that real quick, and then um, people can enjoy all of the aspects of <laughs> of the you know the full package that you bring bring yeah. for us here. So. The horror of the fiction and the horror <laughs> of publishing. <laughs> <laughs> um. This has been a lot of fun, Mark. Like as always, I always enjoy getting together with you, whether it's you know having a beer at the beach or or you know online too. So um, I really appreciate your time and appreciate you uh, taking the effort to come on and, and be on my little show here and, and say hello. It's always great to hang out with you, Nathan. And the bonus is I get to hang out with you again to interview you for my podcast, just coming up in an hour or half an hour, I should say. And then I get to hang out with you at the beach again with beer and books <laughs> and ghosts and everything. All of our favorite things coming coming soon. So, where's the best place for people to find that podcast if they're trying to find links to it online? Well, marklesley.ca, uh, there's okay. a tab for the podcast, or you go to starkreflections.ca. Yeah, again, because I'm Canadian, the dot coms were all taken. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're, we're expanding into Canada. This is great. This is perfect. We're, yeah. we're going to go explore the Canadian internet. That's right. <laughs> it's smaller and more polite. <laughs> That's what we need, actually. That sounds like the perfect internet for me. There's maple syrup and poutine. There's all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. Let's let's get over there right, as fast as we can. So, all right. Thanks, Mark, and uh, I'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Nathan.